1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Would you stand as we read these first three verses together? 1 Thessalonians 1, 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. We began a new study last week in our 10 a.m. Sunday school class in 1 Thessalonians. This church that's being addressed in the city of Thessalonica was an exceptional church. The Apostle Paul said that it was a people and a church worth modeling. They became an example to all of those in the regions around. They were a pattern for the churches in their day, and they're a pattern to the churches in our day as well. And in the first few verses of, of this letter that he writes to them, Paul lays out some of the things that made them such a great church. We might call these the three foundational stones or blocks of this model church. Faith, hope, love. And we're going to look at these three today. And let me just take this opportunity, if you don't have a if you don't normally attend Sunday school, to start doing so. Uh, Brother Wagner teaches a class. I believe they just started a study through the book of Proverbs. We're studying through First Thessalonians. We ought to look for every opportunity to know God better through his word. So if you're not attending, I encourage you to do that. But today we're going to look at the building blocks of a model church. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful to be here We're always thankful to come together, but especially on days like today, when the weather is not conducive to travel. We thank you for letting it warm up enough that we're able to get out and the roads are clear and safe, and we just, we're thankful for it. And I pray that we would make the most of our time here today, that it wouldn't, we wouldn't meet in vain, but as your word is read and preached, Lord, that each one of us would pay careful attention, not be distracted, and be ready to receive your word and to apply it to our lives. Thank you. Help us to understand what you have for us today. We pray for those who are not well, those that we care about, those church members that are at home with various illnesses, for missionaries that we support that are meeting today and some having struggles. We just lift them up to you today, God, and ask that you would take care of them, meet the needs, and strengthen each one. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The primary author here is Paul the Apostle. Paul was, of course, formerly known as Saul of Tarsus. He was a well-known hater of Christians and all things Christianity. In his day, Saul's name produced fear by all those who followed Christ. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3 records that he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women and committing them into prison. 
Acts 9.1 says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. Saul hated Christians. You may know someone that hates Christians, but, you, but their hatred towards Christianity would not compare, I'm sure, to that of the apostle or that of Saul of Tarsus. He would drag them into prison, men, women, children, beat them, put them to death. His purpose in life was to bring to extinction the entire um, Christian people. But Paul's life, Saul's life, was radically changed one day when he met the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. There's no heart so cold and no life so far from God that he can't bring radical transformation as he did with the apostle Paul. He went from persecutor to preacher, chief preacher and evangelist of the gospel. This is Paul, the writer of this letter and of much of the New Testament. But he wasn't alone here in his writing. He has with him, traveling with him, Silvanus, which is Silas, who joined him on his second missionary journey after Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. Silas is best known for us, to us, for the night that they spent, Paul and Silas, in that Philippian jail. After Paul was beaten and stripped and dragged, and they were chained up in the Philippian jail, at midnight we find them not sleeping and not complaining and not saying, why do bad things happen to good people? But instead we find them praying and singing and worshiping God. And at midnight, God sent an earthquake, which rattled that those jails, opened all those prison doors. And through that miracle, the Philippian jailer was saved and his family was saved and baptized. And a church sprung up there in Philippi. That's, that's Silas. And then we have Timothy. Timothy, who was also picked up by Paul on that journey at his hometown of Lystra, as he was a disciple, he was a son in the faith of the Apostle Paul. He called him my beloved son. This is Timothy traveling with him. Paul and Silas and Timothy. We have two books in our Bible named after Timothy. What a team. What a missionary team. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, or Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians. Thessalonica was a major city, definitely not a Christian city. It was a city that was given over to idolatry. But now things were beginning to change in Thessalonica. A church is now has been, has been born, and people, by the multitudes, are being saved. Men, women, Jews. And Paul is writing to this relatively newly established church in Thessalonica. The word church we're familiar with. There's no shortage of churches around here. I've never done research myself, but I would say that probably St. Clair is among the nation's leaders and churches per capita. You don't have to travel far in any direction to find many, many churches. You, you probably know this already, but the church is translated, the word church, from a, a Greek word, ekklesia, which literally means a, a called out assembly of people. In this day... The word would have been used for things other than just church. People may be called out of their homes to a meeting in the city where they would discuss important matters, an ecclesia, a group that would be called into a, a meeting place. It was also, of course, used to describe the time of worship of God's people. And so Paul here is going to just carefully describe exactly who, which church he's writing to in Thessalonica. It wasn't just a group that would come together to meet about economic development in the city or military plans. 
They weren't trying to see how they could increase tourism. It was a group of people meeting for a very specific purpose, not about building highways or anything like that. This was much more significant. Look again in verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church, this called out assembly of believers, of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just any group of citizens coming together in Thessalonica. This is the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father. That is, it's rooted in him. Its source of all things is him, God. The church's strength is not in the skill of the musicians. It's not in the workmanship of the building. It's not in the eloquence of the preacher, but it's in God the Father. Not only that, you see every synagogue in the city could have made claim that they were of God the Father. But notice what else Paul writes in verse 1. Unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. This church was in Jesus Christ. The one who had been born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and crucified outside the city of Jerusalem, and three days later raised from the dead, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father, and ever liveth to make intercession for us in Jesus Christ. The same Jesus who stopped Saul of Tarsus in his tracks that day when he was traveling to Damascus for the very purpose of apprehending and arresting Christ's followers. That same Jesus Christ. Notice the description also that Paul gives to Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The word Lord carries a very strong meaning. It means master. It means supreme authority. It means decision maker. He is the supreme authority. He's the controller. Jesus Christ was not just a picture on the wall in this church in Ecclesia. He was not just words on a sign outside of the building there. He was the one in control. He was the head of the church. He was the chief cornerstone. The word church in the New Testament is not used to describe a building or a place. It's used to describe a people, a called out assembly of people, God's people that are called out from sin, called out from the world, and called to worship him. This is a letter written to a people, a group of called out people living in the city of Thessalonica. And notice what he writes in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Paul was noticing the progress, the spiritual progress of the Thessalonian Christians, and he was giving thanks for it. Look ahead in verse 9. For they themselves show of us what matter of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There was conversion here. These people had changed. These people were not the same as they were when Paul had come into town just a short time before that. And and, and Paul wanted to recognize the change that was taking place. We ought to make it a a practice and and a priority to recognize the spiritual progress in one another. He was thankful to God and he gave thanks for it. This may come across as obvious, But when we're thankful, we will give thanks. 
When we're thankful for something, we will, we will give thanks. We will share in our gratitude. If, if your son or daughter never utters the words, thank you, mommy, you have good reason to doubt whether or not they're really thankful like they ought to be. You can say you're thankful, but if you never actually say thank you, then your gratitude level is probably suspect. Thankful people give thanks. It's good to be thankful. It's good for us to give thanks to God for others. That's what Paul is doing. I give thanks always for you all. When we pray, rather than just thanking God for the day in some mindless, robotic prayer, it's good for us to think about others and to mention one another to God and give thanks for them. To notice the progress of one another and then to give thanks to God for it. That's what Paul did. We're going to see it several times this afternoon. Notice the areas he made mention of in their progress in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. He didn't commend them on how many verses they had memorized, how many books they had recently finished, how well they dressed or how well, how well behaved their children were in church. He didn't commend them on how many consecutive days they had read the Bible without missing or how many weeks in a row they had been to church. What he noticed is what we often fail to notice. We see the external, but Paul notices the internal. The things that are often most important in life are sometimes the most difficult to recognize and to see. And so that brings us back where we began with these three building blocks of a model church. First, their work of faith. Verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. A work of faith is anything that we do that requires faith. Not everything requires faith. We do know that without faith it's impossible to please him. But these Thessalonian believers were not basing their lifestyle on convenience, what was easy, on their own pleasure or their own desires. They were living by faith. How do we know that? Look in verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 7 records the beginning of this church. If you haven't read that recently, I would encourage you this week, find a time and read Acts chapter 17. Many were saved, great multitude were saved, but as, as was often the case, people were saved, but the unconverted Jews were not at all happy about the changes that were taking place in these people. They weren't happy at all, and Paul was literally run out of the city. Friends had to sneak him out in the dark of the night. In the secret of the night, they had to send them out of town for fear of their life. And yet, despite this animosity towards Christianity in their town, the people of Thessalonica continued to blossom in their faith. Isn't that amazing? Look in verse 8. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not speak anything. It was blossoming, it was spreading, it was growing. It couldn't be contained. 
What is faith? Faith is believing what God has said and acting on what we believe to be true. Faith is displayed by our obedience to God's word. Now, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Look in chapter 2 and verse 13. For this cause also we think, think we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Here's the commendation from Paul, the same letter. They heard the word of God, not directly from God, but from the preachers, from the man of God. They heard the word of God through them, and they didn't take it just as a human opinion, but they received it as directly from God, as the word of God. And it made an impact on their life. You received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believed. It worked itself out in their life. They received it, they believed it, they held on to it, and then it worked itself out in their life. Our faith is displayed by our obedience to what we've heard. Faith is not just driving to church when your fuel light is on and you may not make it there because you don't have enough gas. That's not the only definition of faith. Faith is not, I should say today maybe, faith is not just coming to church when there may be some ice or snow. I'm not saying it's not faith, but that's not all faith is, doing something kind of that seems irrational or crazy. Faith is taking what God has said, believing it, and then allowing it to affect our life, to effectually work out in us. Simply believing God's truth and making decisions of life based on what he has said. Paul commended the Thessalonian believers for their work of faith. It was growing. It was spreading. Not just to Macedonia, not just to Achaia, but everywhere it was spreading. So did they have a perfect faith? Well, of course they did not. Look in chapter 3 and verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face, Paul wanted to return to them and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. We all have areas that need to be improved, every individual, every church. God wants to perfect us. He wants to perfect his servants through his, through his word. God is honored when we act according to our faith. Our faith, when we act according to our faith, doesn't mean we're, hey, we have perfect faith. We're still imperfect people with imperfect faith. But God wants to build our faith, to blossom our faith. Our faith produces our work, the work of faith. That's why James said, I will show thee my faith by my works. Secondly, we see the labor of love. Back to chapter 1 in verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. The biblical standard for the Christian life really is love. Don't turn there, but I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter about charity and love. And I just want you to just listen to to, to the Apostle Paul's words about the importance of charity. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith 
so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and although I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Here, Paul places charity, love, above prophecy, above all knowledge, above sacrifice, above faith, above generosity, love. Your labor of love. This word labor in our text is more, more of an intense word than, than work prior to this. It speaks of toil and wearisome, hardships and, and difficulties. It's, it's love that brings us to serve others, even though there may be challenging times involved. This was a church that served one another by love. Whenever you go this week and read Acts chapter 17, you're going to read about a man named Jason. Jason was a citizen there in Thessalonica. Paul and his company had been preaching. People were being saved. Many, many, many people were being saved. And these unbelieving Jews got so angry about it that they determined they were going to find Paul and his compadres and they were going to cast them out of the city. And they went and they they assaulted the house of Jason. Because Jason had been housing Paul, and they knew it. Even in the face of persecution, they're serving one another. Even in the face of persecution, Jason said, you can have a a home in my home. You can have a place, you can have a, it may not be safe anywhere else for you, but you can have a pillow and a bed in my house. They were, even early on, they're serving one another in love, laboring together in love. Look in the fourth chapter of First Thessalonians. Chapter 4 and verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. This wasn't an our for and no more kind of a love in Thessalonica. Indeed, you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. It's easy to love those in your group, isn't it? Your close friends, your clique. It's easy to love some people. But some people are a little harder to love, aren't they? But these loved, not just the ones, not just their close friends, not even just the ones there in Thessalonica, but all Macedonia, they were showing their love. Turn a few pages to the right to 2 Thessalonians. This is his second letter to the same church. Verse, chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Your love for one another is abounding. 
There's so much love that it's flowing over the edges. It, it, it can't be contained. It can't be hidden. It can't be kept a secret. It's just overflowing, abounding love toward one another. It's spilling out all over the place. It's obvious to everybody. Nobody had to wonder if, this was, if they love. No one had to ask. I wonder if they, they love each other. I wonder if there's love between the brothers. No, no. Everybody knew it was abounding. It was overflowing, spilling out. Our love produces that labor, serving together. When you love somebody, you want to serve them. You want to sacrifice. You're willing to sacrifice for the ones that you love. You're willing to labor. You're willing to put up with some challenging times because you love them. It was Jesus who said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. Not towards some, but towards all. These are the foundational stones of a New Testament church. It begins with faith, but without love, we are really nothing. That's what Paul said. Back to our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God and our Father. We see this phrase, patience of hope. Work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope. Two very important words. First is patience, which carries the meaning of of endurance, of constancy. It means to continue, to keep on keeping on. Patience is endurance. And the second word is hope, meaning to anticipate it means to, it's, it's an expectation, it's a confidence in what is ahead. It's a confidence in the future. The phrase is patience of hope, or we might say enduring through confident expectation. And patience or endurance is really the fruit of hope. Just as love produces the, our labor together, and faith produces our work together, endurance produces this. Faith produces works. What is it that helps us to stick it out when times get tough? When the honeymoon is over? I believe it's the confidence in what lies ahead. I think that's what we're being taught here. And an indispensable quality of a, a New Testament church is one that is enduring. It's people that are enduring, people that are continuing, people that are constant, people that are faithful. The persistence to continue year after year and decade after decade. In good times and bad times, in times of growth and in times of decline. Often it will mean continuing through spiritual battles and financial struggles, broken relationships, offenses, hurt feelings. But these are people who are enduring, patient, continuing. Patience means being faithful when the, when the thank yous stop, when the recognition is absent. We have such incredible examples of this in our church. I think of people, I think of ladies who have been faithfully serving for years and for decades within our nurseries and 
and with our children's classes, not because of the thank yous, not because of the recognition, but because they're just faithful. Men who have been serving longer than many of us have been alive, not for the monetary compensation for sure, but just because they're faithful, enduring, patient. We don't live in a generation that puts a high premium on enduring, whether in relationships or in jobs or in ministry. According to my research, the average time at a place of employment is under five years. The average length of a marriage is between eight and 12 years. The average tenure of pastors and churches is about six years. So to be a church that endures, we have to be people that endure. And that's going to involve going against the grain of culture. Because this is not a culture that endures. Endurance comes from hope, from confidence in what lies ahead. And where does this confidence come from? The place we go to strengthen our hope, our confidence is to the scriptures, of course. We think of verses like Philippians 1, 6 that says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Christian, the thing that God has started in you, he's going to bring to completion. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't be discouraged. There may be times that people get discouraged, but don't be discouraged because there's, there's, there's hope ahead. We will reap if we faint not. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. This is all very good news about our future. If my only hope were in myself, then I would be in a very desperate situation. And don't take offense to this, but if my only hope were in you all, the future might be a little uncertain as well. Humans let us down. We're all imperfect people. We've all been let down by somebody. But there is one who will never let us down. There's a song our choir is singing. My hope is not in temporal things, the gain of earthly treasure, the fleeting pleasures it may bring are one day gone forever. It can't be found in man's applause, though for now it's fleeting. The hollow, empty praise it lauds leaves the soul still needing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He alone is life to me, Christ, my hope, my glory. The good news is that Jesus is in control. It's not up to you, and it's not up to me. Your salvation wasn't up to you. Keeping yourself saved and secure is not your responsibility. Your future is not reliant on your goodness or your ability to hold on. Our hope is Jesus. He will hold us. My hope is Jesus, the anchor of my soul, the ruler of this universe, the one who's in control. He saves me, and he will keep me till the end. The rock of my salvation on Christ, I will depend. My hope is Jesus. Understanding this prevents us from relying on ourselves or boasting in anything that we could possibly do. If your hope is in somebody else, they'll let you down. If your hope is in yourself, you'll be let down. But if our hope and our confidence is in the grace and the power of God, rather than the people around us, and rather than the praise we receive, 
rather than our, our job, then when everything else around us seems to crumble, we will still endure. And when everybody else around us may seem to be falling away and going in a different direction, that we can still endure because our hope and our confidence is not in them, it's in him. He is my strength. He is my hope. He is my confidence. We tend to put our faith in many different things. Our jobs, our spouse, our bank account, a political party, your president, the government. But ultimately, there's only one source of hope that has 100% reliability, and that's Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Consider the Apostle Paul's words to the church at Corinth. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, your, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Three foundation stones, three building blocks of a church that is a model church for us. Faith that produces works, love that produces labor, serving one another, and hope, confidence that produces endurance, steadfastness, constancy. May these be characteristic of our church, but they'll only be characteristic of our church if they're characteristic of our church members. We will only be a church of faith if we're people of faith. We'll only be a church of love if we're people of love. And we'll only be a church that endures if we have people who are steadfast, immovable, and enduring people.